This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lee. Welcome to IA Forward and welcome to our show where we're going to discuss the results of the Grand Leads Experiment. We are going to polarize the discussion more than likely. Controversy. Definitely controversy. Let me start out by saying it this way. I understand that there are agencies across the country who have had success with buying leads, whether that be the Ramsey program or whether that's the different types of lead buyers. I am going to stay away from specific names, but there's exclusive lead buying, there's shared lead buying, there's... Oh, why are we staying away from names? Really, let's just go all out there. Well, I know, but those guys haven't done anything to me and I'm not going to do anything to them. And the people we've worked with are fantastic people. Their people are great. Their strategy is great. Their business in and of itself is great of the lead selling business, but the results are not good. Now, are we part of the problem? Maybe. And we'll talk about that. But it was an utter disaster and I needed to try it. We did not close leads at any level of acceptable rate. We did well. We had a fully integrated process. We were timely. We had both newer producers and experienced 10, 12 year plus experienced producers doing it in the same geographic area. Yes, the market's tough, but that was not the problem. We were doing this in an area where we do still have readily available capacity. So just trying to set some parameters here as people think about this, I've always been lead buying negative. We tried this before about a decade ago and had not great results. I basically said it was the modern day yellow pages. In this case, it just is a disconnect from what I would say the standard preferred personal lines insurance agency should be doing. Let's back up and let's tell the story of how we decided to try this whole lead buying experiment. So we had a couple of new producers in our retail operation. And just for setting this picture, we have the partner network and the partner independent agencies. They do different things and they do their own lead generation and mortgage referrals and some buy leads and some do community relations and so forth. Our new producers in our retail space were struggling for lead generation. And so I decided that we're going to try to buy some leads because they needed more at-bats. And at the very minimum, we're going to give them more at-bats and they're going to learn and increase their craft. And either way, whether this is a success or failure, we're going to come out the other side with a better process. We're not going to lose, we're going to learn. And so we jumped off in that endeavor with this idea that we were going to learn And we went with a fully integrated lead source into our quoting platform. And that was slick. It was great. All that process, the back end, things getting into the system, all the triggers. It was great. That whole part, 100%. The prospect mentality was the issue. I do not believe it was our salespeople at the end of the day. I believe it was the prospect mentality, which means the origination of the lead becomes circumstance. That's why, that's how, that's what we decided to do and why we decided to do it. I'm a very outside viewer in this process. I am involved with our retail operation in an extremely limited base 
very much um, an of counsel when it comes to brand building and marketing, but it's not what I do day to day or even month to month. I'm an outsider in this process. And when you said on the podcast that you had decided to engage in a lead buying campaign, I learned about it at the same time that our listeners did. So surprise. And my thoughts went to, okay, so this is something that Shane's totally against historically. This goes against everything that we have talked about on the podcast. I followed up. We had the discussion. And the reason that you decided to do this was, yes, you felt our producers needed some at-bats, but also you wanted to see if there was a better way to create this book that went beyond building relationships. Yes. I don't want to be an agency owner or any leadership level person that just says that doesn't work because I tried it and failed 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever. I never want to be that person because things change and technology has changed. And I hear a lot of lead sellers on social media talking about their way is the better way. Lead funnels and generating volume and the old adage of referrals are best, but referral volume is a struggle sometimes. So you can't turn on, turn off. And it went down this path of, yes, we accomplished the at-bat method or the at-bat goal, but it became a busy work thing. And once you do that for a little while, you really don't need that type of prospect. Then you're just wasting time. Now we're running against the grain to what I ultimately want to accomplish in my lifetime, which is to stop quoting. There's been a big movement for several years about selling on AOR or BOR, so that's agent of record or broker of record, depending on what state you're in, method only. So they don't quote, they go in and get the BOR. And yes, that's fantastic and that works and that's a great strategy. I'm talking personal lines here and that's a little different and I'm looking for some secret sauce and I'm willing to try. It's not a bad thing to supplement what your true marketing lead generation efforts should be or that works better for your local marketing area. To our listeners that are saying, oh, you bought leads from ABC. I'm buying leads from XYZ. So do you think the outcome would have been any different Leaving Ramsey out, because I do want to come back to that, but for the normal average lead generation product, do you think your results would have been any different if you would have purchased them elsewhere? It's possible. We interviewed and picked a supplier based on size, scope, integration, efficiency. There were some less efficient options. There were some exclusive options for quite a bit more money per lead. That being said, yes, I understand and admit that there could be a different result and your agency could be experiencing success and ours didn't. I will also say it could be area. Our comparison is that we market ourselves in deep East Texas in a one to two county area of about 100,000 people in population. So we are smaller, rural in some areas of the county, and we are not metro suburban. That's important because we do an incredible job of what we called community relations. 
We hired a community relations director. We were the county's chamber of commerce, medium-sized business of the year in 2023. We were just awarded that. That is all mostly her doing and her activities. When I add up her compensation, her budget that I gave her, and when I back into the leads that we generated for the last two years, my average lead cost, which is my lead, it is warm, it is basically a referral, is about $41 per lead, which is for a exclusive lead that is organically developed. And so my perspective of how things should work on lead generation is a little tainted because we're having so much success with that piece of it. And I will say with a 21 plus year history in marketing, now I did work with State Farm on a national level and on a regional level, same with Allstate, same with Progressive. I have a history with our captives and with the big boys that's a little bit different. But I will say that in over two decades of working in the marketing world, that's the reason I was successful. The whole community relations thing and getting out and being on the board of every charitable organization that would have me and going to all of those events. I'm a huge believer in that. Yes, you have to have a product that will back that up. You have to have the cake under the icing, but that's how I've always seen the most success with marketing. That being said, if I was listening to this podcast, my question to you, would be how long did the experiment last? Did you do it for 30 days and it didn't work? Because as we all know, and, and we, we do talk about on the podcast a lot, you can't do something for 30 days, 60 days, say it doesn't work. That's throwing jello at the wall. It's not going to stick and it's going to smear and it's going to be ugly. Almost six months. This is going to sound crazy. We're going to do it again. We're going to do it with future salespeople. We're going to do the at-bat strategy. We're going to have some level of ongoing plan. We may change providers. We may try other lead generation sources of appointment setting, which are a lot more expensive. We're going to try some different things because of our nature of community relations, which takes time to build. So full disclaimer, I'm not ignorant to our reality. So I've moved from the captive system to the independent system, and I'm starting an independent agency. I don't have a 40-year track record of an agency, a foundation. Now, I might have a 10-year, 5-year track record of me in the captive channel or a producer or something, but I don't necessarily have the foundation that our agency has. I'm with you. I understand it, and I agree. The community relations buildup is a long-term strategy. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. The investment is all for you. It's, There's, it's us being unselfish. We're spending the money. We're giving you the information. This is our culture, and this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to talk about it and share. And people are going to disagree, and some are going to agree, and that's okay too. But we're going to keep trying to figure that out. Here's the thing. Most of you are rainmakers and you already know how to do this and you're already in the community when you start your agency. Even if you're a producer, you're already in the community. You're already getting mortgage referrals, real estate agent referrals. You're getting some referral system from somebody, but you might need to figure out a way to turn up or turn down a secondary lead source, which is where we are. That's my whole point about this 
And if we can break through there and we can figure this out, then we are IA forward, independent agent. We are not state farm forward or all state forward or farmers forward. We are IA forward. So our goal is to help the IA channel. And I just feel like there's something missing because I do see a lot of captive agencies having success with lead buying opportunities. And I see that happening. There's a variable there with a big brand. And that's just something that I'm wanting to figure out and overcome. For most of our listeners, they can't afford to hire a public relations person. Let's just put it out there. Most of our listeners, and this podcast is designed to speak to the small independent agency. You're probably not in a position that we were in celebrating 40 years and being able to hire a public relations person. I don't want you to think that's what we're expecting you to do. I had to be that person for myself for two decades. That was me. It was so important for me as a producer to build my business. I made that position for myself within the company. So here's the thing. If you are not in a position to do that, this may be one of those suck it up buttercup things Is it more fun to do date night with your spouse? Yes. But does date night with your spouse maybe need to start on Saturday night at a gala somewhere representing your organization followed by dinner somewhere else? Yeah, it's going to be that way. Is it a chamber after hours event that you have to leave the office an hour early to go to that chamber after hours event or come in an hour late after that networking breakfast? Yes, you're going to have to be that PR person for yourself until you are successful enough to hire somebody to do all of those things that you detest doing? Because I'll tell you, Shane doesn't like to do that stuff. I was that person. I was our community relations person. I did it. And that is the bridge, the gap information that may be somewhere out there. People are scratching their head. I can't afford a community relations director. That's correct. Understand we couldn't either. So I did it. And I was the rainmaker type. I was the salesperson. There was another individual that was the salesperson on the commercial side. And we did it. We went to community events. And no, I don't love doing that today. But I reached a point by doing it where I could afford to hire a community relations director who could go do it. In the beginning, it is you. And my comment about that is it doesn't have to be 100% of the things. Just be consistent. If it's Shane, I don't have time. You've got to keep the pipeline flowing and you've got to do something. And if it's 30%, if it's 50% of the stuff, get involved with your local realtor association, get involved with chamber, get involved with whatever is going on in your world, Kiwanis, Lions Club, whatever there is that makes sense in your market area. And then figure out the things that are going on that you can jump into and go do that and do that consistently and build that community piece. Own that you're good at this and go do it. This is not part of a CSR's role. Usually you're hiring that person first because that is your weakness. If you are the rainmaker, you need a technician to make sure that everything is done on time and correctly and all of those things. I see so many people say, I'm going to include this public relations thing as part of my first person I hire, my CSR's job. This is a nightmare for them. 
Most technicians do not have the personality that they are going to be a fantastic community relations person. So don't put it in your head that you're going to make that part of a CSR role. If you test them out, and I highly recommend that you test them through profile testing, we use zero risk HR. We've had a lot of success with it, but test them out. And if they test strong for account management or customer service, they're going to test weak for community relations, marketing. They're just two different types of people. If you find someone who's an incredible account manager and is also an incredible marketer, they're a rare bird that is a producer. So get them out of that role and let them sell. You're not going to find a fantastic account manager, CSR, who is also a great marketer, community relations person, to Tanya's point, and vice versa. It's just the reality. And since finding the community relations mindset and personality, to me, is so rare, actually finding the person who fits the CSR account manager role is easier as far as the mindset and personality. They may have to be trained. You may have to get them licensed. You may have to send them through some training and put them through some training. But the mindset is what we're talking about. We're talking about how they think how they go about doing daily tasks, what they enjoy. I know you can't understand this as a sales and marketing person, Mr. or Mrs. Agency owner. There are people out there who love to click around the system and talk to people about their coverage and about their billing issue and about their claims problem. They exist. You don't understand them, but we have people that are incredible at that job who would absolutely crawl under their desk if I tried to drag them to a power networking breakfast at the chamber. My wife is one of them. The accounting people are very similar, but you need to quit trying to force the wrong role into a role that you don't want to go do. You just got to get up and go do it. I do want to go back to Ramsey. We, I told our listeners that we were going to do that. Yep. And I know that's a kind of a different animal. I have seen within our Integra Partner Network agencies that have had tremendous success with the Dave Ramsey leads. And that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about within this podcast. Yes, the Dave Ramsey leads cost more. They're a little bit warmer. We have seen great success with that if you can get them in your area. I have seen agents within our network that would say, oh, the area that's available for Ramsey in XYZ part of Mississippi is available. Tanya, do you think that I should go ahead and grab it? And I'm, you're in Central Texas. What do you know about insurance in Northern Mississippi. People in Tupelo and people in San Antonio are not the same people. I went to school in Mississippi. I'm from Northeast Louisiana. That's a different mindset than the people that you market to in San Antonio or in Austin, Texas or in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. I would like for you to tell me your thoughts on the Ramsey and the success that you've seen there and the not success you've seen there, just because we have a lot of experience within our work about it. Oh my God, you're going to trigger me here. So don't let me forget to come back to this. I want to grow a market four states away. I'm going to write that down just for you. Thank you. So Ramsey's a mixture and agencies that have had success, they live by it. And then agencies that have dropped it because lead quality went down. There was a point in time where lead quality was very good across the board. There was some changes within Ramsey and those that do it 
probably know what I'm talking about. There were some changes there and, and some agents experienced the degradation in lead quality and, and others didn't. And the difference there is the exclusivity. Most of your lead buying is shared leads. They'll sell it eight to 10 times to different agents. They'll tell you it's exclusive because they're only going to sell it to one independent agency, but they're going to sell it to the farmer's agent, the Allstate agent, the state farm agent, on and on. And so understanding what's going to happen with that lead. And that's the whole Ramsey point. And if you are going to buy a territory or, or get a territory, exclusive territory through that, then really needs to be the market area that you know. This is the triggered point. I see this a lot. And I don't know if it's the independent agency nature of I get a license, I can do what I want. Or if I get a license in that state, I can sell in that state. There are some valid scenarios where an agency is physically located in a depressed market area and they are trying to diversify into some different markets. I know that exists, but that is going to be the minority. What I see a lot of times is that before agents become the best in their market, they start spreading themselves thin by trying to become the expert in five or six other markets. Markets. And when I say market, geographic areas, one of my analogies there that I always go back to, and it's Bluebell ice cream. I love the original long-term strategy that Bluebell creameries, Bluebell ice cream, I know some parts of the country don't have Bluebell, and I'm going to explain why. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bluebell originally had a strategy that if they could not be number one or number two in a geographic market area, they would not go to that market. If you go back in time, what you would see is you would see that Bluebell was in the northern Houston market, but not the southern Houston market. Or they were in Houston, but they weren't in Austin, but they were in Dallas. And they were in Dallas, but they weren't in Fort Worth. And you look at where you can go get Bluebell ice cream and it's people move from one part of Texas to another and they're like, oh, they don't carry Bluebell in Abilene. Oh my God, I'm going to die. Why can you not get Bluebell? It's the state of Texas. And then you understand Bluebell's marketing and you understand Bluebell's strategic decision around this. If they couldn't be number one or two, they wouldn't go. They wouldn't build a distribution facility. They wouldn't spend the money. They wouldn't make the investment if they knew they couldn't be number one or number two. And they've continued to do this. And you will see that their market area on a map is somewhat patchy. It's less patchy today than it was 20 years ago. They were great where they were before they decided to expand somewhere else. They built the market that they started in or that they originally expanded into to become the number one ice cream brand in that market area. They made a buttload of money and then they had the capacity to invest in the next market and the next market. We get in such a hurry that we think I'm ranked number 185 in the Austin market. I'll go start trying to sell in Kansas city now. Why? Why don't you try to become number eight in Austin? What are we doing when we take that mindset? Because it's going to cost you money. And I'm telling you, your insurance carriers, they don't want you to do that either. It costs them money when you go market in other states. I had a buddy from college that lives in Tuscaloosa and, and he's a mortgage broker and he's going to send me leads. That's not a reason to open up your market area from Austin or Dallas to Tuscaloosa. If you are still struggling to be great where you are located 
day one. Southwest Airlines did the exact same thing. If you're not familiar with Bluebell, you're probably familiar with Southwest. And if you go back and you look at the history and their growth and why it's one of the greatest early long-term investments that ever existed in our country, it's because Southwest did the same thing. By the way, I just want to throw this out there that James Avery embraced the Bluebell culture and what they have done so much that James Avery actually did a sterling silver and gold Bluebell ice cream gallon charm for Christmas that I told everybody I knew that I wanted. I put it out there on social media. I told Santa and it didn't happen. And I am so disappointed pointed that I did not get my Bluebell ice cream charm. But when Shane's talking about building a brand, we're talking about a high-end jewelry company that saw the loyalty to a brand to a point that he created jewelry around the brand because he knew that women like me who love Bluebell ice cream and know the fact that I'm only going to be able to get Bluebell wedding cake ice cream between February and July in Pensacola, Florida, and I stock up so it's in my refrigerator for the year. It's got almost a cult following. And that's because Bluebell had a brand idea that they were going to keep it exclusive. And that's been a big thing for us here on the podcast is scarcity is okay. We don't have to be everything to everybody. We want to be the agency that people are lining up to work with and buying leads is not how you get there. For those of you that know, Bluebell had an outbreak in had a recall. They had to shut down production. This was six or seven years ago now, or it's been a while. Bluebell fans are so insane that they didn't care. Don't take it off my shelf. It's insanity. And that is because they built such a following to be number one or number two in a market area. There's a lot of ice cream brands out there today. When you have a customer base that ignores an outbreak that can kill you and wants to still have your ice cream to be available in their store, their local store, that's a pretty good brand following. So I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Tommy Lasorda. The difference between the impossible and the possible lies in a man's determination. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on I forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at iaforward.com.